The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. In our Bibles this morning for our text reading, the book of Colossians chapter number 3 here for our text reading this morning. Uh, let me just start by congratulating you on uh, getting up on time this morning for Time Change Sunday. How many of you had a moment where you forgot? Anybody like that? And you kind of, you woke up? Uh, somebody was mentioning to me this was maybe a bigger deal back 5, 10, 15 years ago, but now with the advent of the cell phone, uh, a lot of this happens for you automatically, doesn't it? It just kind of switches on its own and so hopefully it hasn't been uh, too much of a deal. Now I will say this, if at the end of the service uh, some folks begin to walk in thinking it's the beginning, let's just randomly start cheering for them, all right? Just between us, be our little thing and no, let's not do that. We don't want to embarrass them. Uh, What I'll do is if that happens, I'm just going to start the sermon all over to make them feel all right. So hopefully that doesn't put any of you, uh, you know, so if if things start, wait a second, I think he said this before, just there's been a couple families walking in the back and I'm just, I'm just going back to the beginning, all right? So that's kind of how we're, no, I'm just, we won't do that either. But I'm so glad you are here today and uh, looking forward just to moving through our series that we've entitled God's at War. And uh, as we've been studying the scriptures, we have found that there are many little G-O-D gods, little gods, what we've been referring to as idols, idols of the heart, that really do vie for authority in our spirit. And, and what we've discovered is that there are a lot of good things in this world, gifts from God that He has bestowed upon us, that if we are not careful, we begin to engage, we begin to interact with in a very unhealthy manner. And when we begin to engage a good thing, a gift, in an unhealthy way, uh, in an imbalanced way, that good thing can become a God thing that wars for supremacy in our heart and in our life. And, and that's what we've been kind of wrestling with the last few weeks and we'll continue to do so for a couple more weeks. The theme text of our entire series has been Ezekiel chapter number 14 and verse number 3 where the Bible declares, These men have set up their idols in their hearts. You see, for thousands of years, idols were things that people made out of stone. They were things that people created out of rocks. They were things that people would bow down to and ascribe worth to. And then all of a sudden, there came a moment in history where man began to build these idols up in their very own hearts. They begin to allow things to have a place of authority above God, above God's will, above God's word. And and those things became literally counterfeit gods. Uh, They became these things that vied for authority. We've defined idolatry this way. It's when we turn something or anything into an idol, we turn that thing into an idol when we seek after something smaller than Jesus to give us what only Christ can give us. And so whether that is some blessing, some material possession, and all of a sudden we look to that possession to give us a sense of security, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of significance, and and we look at those things to provide that, we are actually allowing that thing to take the place of God because it is God that's supposed to give us our significance. God that's supposed to bring our sense of satisfaction and security. And when we allow anything in this earth, any creation of God to usurp authority over God, that thing becomes a 
practical idol in our lives. Last week, we spent some time going to what we refer to as the metaphorical temple of pleasure. How many of you who were here last week remember this? And as we kind of made our way through the temple of pleasure, we, we discovered some of the things that become idols in our lives. We, we looked at the idol of entertainment and how sometimes in this temple of pleasure, entertainment now usurps God's authority in our lives. In our pursuit uh, to try to entertain and amuse ourselves, we allow our entertainment to usurp authority over God's word. We allow our amusements to usurp authority over God's will in our life. And, and we saw the, uh, what sometimes becomes an idol. We looked at food. Now, all of us would understand that food is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But how many of us would understand there comes moments when we begin to engage food in an unhealthy manner. We give that food a place. We, we, we refer to it as comfort food. And rather than just eating to live, we begin to live to eat. And now all of a sudden that thing is teetering on idolatry and we need to now demote whatever it is that thing is, that thing that has usurped authority, that thing that has usurped, you know, God's plan for our lives. And we need to demote that. We need to dethrone that thing and put it back in its proper place and enthrone God's will in our life once again. So last week we looked at the temple of pleasure. This week we're going to go to the temple of treasure. You see, within this metaphorical temple of treasure, there are many things that try to elevate themselves to a place of authority in our hearts. And, and we're going to look to uncover some of the idols, some of the things that become idols in the temple of treasure that vie for our hearts. Inside your service program that you should have received as you made your way inside the auditorium this morning from one of our ushers, there is an outline that you can use to follow along through our Bible study here this morning. I do hope it will be a help to you as we take some time just to study the Word of God line upon line, precept upon precept. So I hope you'll pull that out. If you do have a pen on you, you feel free to pull out that pen and we'll take some time just to move through this brief Bible study. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as we take some time this morning to read from our text. We're going to focus on the very last few words of this passage, uh, but we'll read the entire thing for the sake of context. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians chapter number 3 verse 5, he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. You say, what does that mean, mortify? Literally, and I, I know this sounds kind of maybe gross, but it literally means to put this thing to death. And so God says there are some things that have crept into your heart, some things that have crept into your soul that God's grace wants to crush, that God's grace wants to destroy. And he says, I want you to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. What, what does he want us to destroy? What does he want us to see crushed? Fornication, that sexual impurity. Uncleanness, this is any type of sin inordinate affection, evil conscipience, I'm sorry, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now notice this little phrase right here, covetousness, which is idolatry. There are some folks who would say, wait a second, there is not such thing as idolatry in our world today. We don't worship rocks anymore. We don't bow down to trees anymore. 
Idolatry is not something we deal with in the modern church age. And yet I would say it is something we deal with. The Bible is very clear. Covetousness is idolatry. Anytime you covet after something, God says you are committing idolatry. Whenever you want something that God has not given to you, whenever there's a lust in your soul for something that he has not in his providence given you, the Bible declares it is idolatry. This subject of idolatry is very much practical in the 21st century. We could take it a step further. Anything that your heart is coveting after is in essence an idol. Covetousness itself is idolatry, and the object of our covetousness becomes the idol itself. So if you find yourself coveting after that vehicle that you just have to have, and for whatever reason, God hasn't put you in a position to be able to have that, the Bible says that vehicle is now all of a sudden maybe elevating itself to a place of idolhood in your soul and in your spirit. Idolatry is an issue in the church. In fact, you're going to find dozens of passages like this that speak to how you and I today wrestle with idolatry. The Bible says if there's covetousness in your heart, if there's discontentment in your heart, the root of that is idolatry. You have idols. Those idols need to be dethroned. They need to be demoted so Jesus Christ can once again reign on the throne of your life. So today we're going to go to the temple of treasure. We're going to move our way around through this temple. And we're going to seek to discover how to dethrone some of the idols, some of the idolatry that sets itself up in our heart and literally robs us of our joy, robs us of our happiness, robs us of our peace because we are looking to something smaller than Jesus to give us what only Christ can give us. When I'm done with our prayer, we're going to hear a brief testimony from a gentleman who struggled with the idolatry of money. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would use your word in our hearts, Lord, to dethrone the idols that set themselves up in our hearts. Lord, while any of your gifts are good, wonderful things, we often engage them in a way that's very unhealthy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a proper perspective, Lord, that you would give us a proper view of the things that you entrust to us, whether they be relationships, whether they be a possession, that we would engage them healthily and we would engage them, Lord, in a, in a, uh, a balanced way. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I'm an idolater because I'm serving money. And then the Lord took me to the New Testament when he said, you cannot serve both God and money. So begin to think, am I really serving money? And what's so wrong with that? Is there something wrong with serving money? So I asked him, what do you want me to do to serve you? And the answer came back, I want you to die to the love of this world and all the things in this world and all the things that you've ascribed to money, those come from me. 
Many of us, if we're not careful, often look to money to do for us the very things that God wants to do for us. You say, uh, expound on that a little bit. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can look to money to give us a sense of satisfaction. Yet as we study the word of God, we find that it is God, our father, who wants to be the one to give us our satisfaction. So we look to money to give us something that God intrinsically wants to give us. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we look to money to give us a sense of significance. We look to money to give us a feeling of being important, of giving us a feeling that we really matter because we've got a lot of money. And and God says your significance doesn't come from how much money you have in the bank or how much you've acquired in your 401k. He says your significance comes from who you are in Jesus Christ. And yet we often look to money to to try to give us a feeling, an emotion, a, a sense of significance when in reality we need to be looking to Jesus to be giving us that sense of significance. If we're not careful, sometimes we'll look to money to bring us a sense of safety and security. If I can just get a little more money in the bank, if I can just get padded a little more comfortable, and we look to money, we look to our income, we look to our bank accounts to bring us a sense of security, to bring us a sense of safety, and many good Christians unwillingly find more of their security and how much money they've got stored up in their bank accounts rather than finding their security in their heavenly Father and in the person of Jesus Christ. And so anytime that you and I look to money to bring us a sense of satisfaction. Whenever we pursue money to to bring us a sense of significance, whenever we are chasing after money to give us a sense of safety and security, that thing now, money is now teetering on the edge of becoming an idol in our hearts. It, It literally is something we are looking to, to give us what God says, hey, only I can give to you. And in essence, it becomes an idol. Uh, The interesting thing about greed is greed is one of the few sins that's very difficult to see in yourself. This counterfeit God of money, when it has elevated itself in our heart, it is a very, very difficult thing to identify. When somebody is dealing with anger in their life, they're pretty much aware of it. If you've ever had a season where you've struggled with wrath and you've struggled with anger, like, you know that you're angry. Nobody has to point it out. Like, no, you just know it. I've, I've had several times where people have come to me in counseling sessions and say, Pastor, I, I struggle with anger. I struggle with wrath. Anger is one of those things that's kind of self-evident. We pretty much know when we've got a problem with anger. Uh, lust is another one. It's, it's pretty self-evident. We pretty much know when we have a problem with lust. Man, if there's a gentleman and he's sleeping with somebody in his office that's not his spouse, it's pretty evident to know, hey, I've got an issue here. I've got got a problem with lust. It's pretty self-evident. I've had several times where people have come to me and said, Pastor, I struggle with this thing of lust. I have a problem. It's very interesting to me of what sometimes is referred to as the seven deadly sins. (laughs) Greed. Covetousness is one of those things that is very hard to identify in yourself. Rarely have I had somebody sit in my office and say, Pastor, I've got to be honest with you. I struggle with greed. I mean, very rarely does this happen. Very rarely will somebody sit there and say, I, just, I really have a problem with covetousness. 
You see, uh, money often uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics to keep it in check. You see, uh, you say, what do you, what do you mean by that? If we're not careful, what begins to happen is when we get more, we, we get more money, we get more income, what tends to happen is we move up in our sociological bracket. When you were making $10,000 a year, you tended to associate with people who made about that same much. You moved to an area where the homes were basically the same as other people in that bracket could afford. And then you begin to make a little more money. And now all of a sudden you move to a new neighborhood. And your kids go to school with people who are generally in the same sociological, socioeconomic bracket. And so what begins to happen is all of a sudden sociologically, economically, in kind of a broad sense... We're tending to look around and see that, hey, the people that I hang with, the people that I'm around, they spend money in the same ways. They have the same possessions. And so it's very difficult for us to see covetousness, to see greed in our own lives. But I'll say this, people in third world countries, uh, they're not deceived. (laughs) They they can kind of see through this thing. I know some of us think, oh man, I just, I just need a little bit more and I just need to have a little bit more. And, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we don't even see the covetousness and the greed that exists in our own hearts. And I'm going to just throw this out and I, I hope we could all at least start from this position. For those of us who live in America, okay, some of you have traveled to third world countries. I've had the opportunity of traveling to third world countries. I know what poor is. Now, I'm not trying to downplay any of your economic situations. I realize some of you are really struggling financially, and my my point is not to make light of that. That is not my intention at all. But for the majority of us, let's just be honest. Compared to the billions that are living on like a dollar a day, our version of poor would not impress them. In fact, a lot of times I talk about the problems we have. We talk about gas prices. Ah, gas prices, it's horrible. And we stress out about the horrible gas prices. Do you realize that gas prices are, are rich people problems? Majority of the world don't own cars. They could care less what gas prices are. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. In fact, what they're doing is they're taking a passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse 10, and they're taking it out of context. They're misinterpreting it. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> I've known some very rich people who did not have an unhealthy interaction with finances. They did not love it. They were thankful for it. They were grateful for it. And they were willing to allow this book to define how it got spent, how it got invested, and how it got used, and how it got given. There was not an unhealthy interaction with their money. On the flip side, I've met some very poor people who had very unhealthy interactions with money. You see, this is not a rich people thing or a poor people thing. You can have rich people who, who interact with money well. You can have poor people who interact and engage their money well. You, on the flip side, you can have poor people who engage their money in a very unhealthy manner and in, in a very unhealthy way from their heart. And, and on the flip side, you can have some rich people who deal very unhealthily with the way they engage their money. It's not a rich people, poor people. It's not pitting one against the other. The Bible says it is the love of money 
the, the, pers- the lust of money that becomes the root of all evil. When we begin to chase after money because we think it's going to provide our soul, we think it's going to provide our spirit with something that God says, no, money can't do it, only I can. But when we look to money, when we love it, when we pursue it in a way because we think it'll give us a sense of significance, it'll make us feel important because we think it'll get us a sense of satisfaction, I'll finally be satisfied. I'll finally have what I want. I'm here to say to you that money is deceiving you. It's lying to you. I want to begin today with three lies that money tries to tell us. Three lies that money tells that deceives us and and really allows that money to begin to elevate itself to a position of idolatry in our life. Now remember, money itself intrinsically is not the problem. Our heart's interaction with money becomes the problem. How we engage, how we interact, how we use it, how we pursue it. If we're not careful, if we do that in an unhealthy, imbalanced way, elevates money in our hearts to a position of authority. That is what becomes unhealthy. That is what becomes unbiblical. So let's begin today. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5 verse 10 says this. He that loveth silver, silver, okay? He that is lusting after it. They, they want, they're looking to it to give them a sense of satisfaction. If I just had a little more money, I could have a little nicer house, make me feel a little better. I could buy a nicer car. I could have better stuff. And you, there's, that, there's that something in your soul that says, I need it for satisfaction so I can buy what I need to buy, so I can have what I need to have. And, and somebody who loveth silver, the Bible says, notice this, shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance. So maybe it's not the money itself. Some of us, if we're like, no, I don't have a problem with money. But here's the deal. You have a problem with what the money can buy. You're maybe not greedy for money. You're materialistic. It's not the money itself. It's what it can buy you. The stuff, the toys, the experiences. And so the Bible has here says if you lust, you love, you pursue money because of what it can get you. The Bible says, nor he that loveth abundance shall be satisfied with increase. This is also vanity. If you have an unhealthy pursuit in your soul for money... And you are looking, you say, what does that mean? It means you are looking to it to try to give you a sense of satisfaction. You really think, if I just had a little more, I could be happy. If I could just get to this bracket, I could be satisfied. You are being deceived. The Bible says you can be satisfied. Here's what the Bible says. With food and with raiment is what Jesus declared. Jesus literally said, if you had something to eat this morning... And you came to church with clothes. You have everything you need to be satisfied. That's that's what Jesus said. If you have more than that, boom, bless God. He's been good to you. But God says all you really need to be authentically satisfied is food and clothes. He says, I created you. I know what's at the deepest part of your psyche, your, your psychology. And I declare that you can intrinsically be content, that you can be satisfied with food in your mouth and clothes on your back. 
And if you have allowed money to deceive you into thinking that you need something more than that to be satisfied, you're believing a lie. Now, I think all of us would agree, it's a wonderful blessing to have more than that. And I hope all of us would say, praise God for his wonderful gifts and for his incredible blessings. It's not wrong to have more than just food and more wrong to have more than just, you know, clothes. But I'm here to say, if you have swallowed the lie that money tries to tell you, that says you, you've got to have more, you've got to have that bigger house, you've got to have a nicer car, you've got to have these toys, or else you can't be satisfied. You have swallowed a lie, hook, line, and sinker. That is not a truth from God. It is a lie. A lie that you have allowed to permeate in your heart and mind. You see, culture tries to convince us that more money equals more satisfaction, which leads us to the first lie that money tries to convince of us, and that is this, that it is the source of satisfaction. Money tries to say, I'm what satisfies. Money tries to convince us that you need more of me to be satisfied. You need more of me to be fulfilled. You need more of me. And so money lies to us and it puts us on this quest. It puts us on this pursuit to chasing after it more and more and more. And yet it never satisfies because money wasn't created by God to be our source of satisfaction. It is simply a tool to be used to glorify Him with. That's the purpose of money. Jesus gave us something else. God gave us something else to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. It is not money. It is the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That is what he gave us for our satisfaction. Is it wrong to have more? No, that is not the point of this message. The point of this message is when you find in your heart an unhealthy pursuit and longing and and you are now convinced in your soul that you've got to have that or else you can't be satisfied. That is the point of this message. All of a sudden you have found now that there's idolatry that's beginning to seep in. Money tries to convince us that it is a source of satisfaction. However, money is not what brings lasting satisfaction. Psalm chapter number 17, verse 15 says this. As for me, the psalmist says, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Oh, the psalmist says, hey, I don't need more money. I don't need more things. I don't need cooler clothes. I don't need a better position. What I need is God. He's what satisfies. He's what fulfills. I need more of his presence. I need more of his likeness. I need more time with him because it is that and that alone that truly satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. And yet money will put us, that little dangle itself in front of us and say, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. But it never satisfies. Never satisfies. This is why we're encouraged to make sure that we worship the source. I think this is in your notes. Worship the source and not the resource. That is to say, worship God and not money. Some of, some of you are familiar with John D. Rockefeller. Some of you who maybe took history, very rich individual. And one day he was being interviewed by a journalist. And the journalist asked him the question, John, 
How much is enough? Now, I mean, here's a, here was an individual who had more money than he could possibly spend in his lifetime. I mean, he had, not, not, he had enough money for himself to spend on anything he wanted. He could have bought anything, could have done anything. Here's the, here was his response. Just one more dollar. John, how much is enough? Just one more dollar. Just one more. Because money lies. Money says, I can satisfy. And if you just pursue it a little longer, if you just give it a little more energy, if you just give it one more month, it'll satisfy. It is a lie. You are being deceived by money and in the process it is becoming an idol that is vying for authority in your heart and it is literally crowding out God's authority on the throne of your soul. Now all of a sudden because money is telling you it's what satisfies. Now all of a sudden money and the pursuit of money is setting your schedule and now all of a sudden the pursuit of money is setting your agenda and now all of a sudden the pursuit of money is defining how you live and your lifestyle and what you can do and what you can do, can't do, and the type of relationships you can have, and the type of relationships you can't have. It's amazing to see how there are some men in their pursuit for money, in their pursuit to worshiping their idol of money, have literally sacrificed their relationship with their children on the altar of money. Every idol demands a sacrifice, and too many have sacrificed their relationship with their children on the altar of money. Like I said, Money in and of itself is not intrinsically bad. In fact, the Bible says that we're to work hard. That's a biblical ideal. However, when you find in your heart an unhealthy lust to do whatever it takes for that little more. Okay, maybe I don't have enough time now for my children. I don't have enough time for my marriage. I don't have enough time for my, for my church. I don't have enough time with God because I got I to make a little bit more. And if I just do this for another six months and I just, I just a little more overtime, I just do a little, then I'll arrive. And once I'll arrive, everything will be... Wait a second. Now all of a sudden your heart is engaging in an unhealthy manner in your, with your pursuit of money. It has lied to you. It has deceived you. And caused you to believe something that the Bible declares is not truth. I read a, an interesting um, study this week. And I was just kind of, because I'm fascinated about this subject and how, how it plays out and how we interact with this thing. And, and I, asked, I was asking this question to myself. Is, is there a correlation between somebody's income and how happy they are on just, and, and in a broad sense of the word happiness. We're not, the, the, this, this particular study that I'm about to cite in just a moment was not a spiritual or religious study. It was just sociologists who got together and they wanted to identify if there was a correlation between somebody's income and how happy they, they, they thought they were, how happy they felt. And what was really interesting, they started with 10,000 people who had an annual income of $10,000 and, and really spent time working and, and, and interviewing people all the way up to $100,000. And so every, from 10,000, which is below poverty level here in America, to people that were making $100,000 and, and they were really asking the question, is there a correlation? Here's what they found. There is actually a correlation between how much money you have and how happy you feel. It's true. On a very secular level... Somebody who makes $11,000, at least in their own perspective, is happier than the person who makes $10,000. And a person who makes $15,000, at least according to this study, is happier or feels happier than the person who's making $11,000. And they found that the person making $18,000 a year was even happier than the person making $15,000. 
$15,000 a year. And this continued on up to $20,000 a year in income. But at that point, everything just changed. Because once they found that somebody was making $20,000, that any income above $20,000 did not intrinsically change how happy they were. Basically, as if to say, once somebody was able to afford the very basic necessities of life in our culture, food, raiment, place to live, basically what you can do on, on that income in our society, they found that after that point, that money really had no relative impact on how happy somebody felt. Literally, they found that somebody who was making $95,000 was no happier than the person making $22,000. It had no impact on them. It jives with what the Bible says. Hey, once you've got food, once you've got raiment, once you have the basic necessities of life, you have everything you need to be as happy as God desires for you to be. Now, does that mean it's wrong to have more than the basic necessities? That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. Do not allow yourself to be deceived into thinking that more will create more satisfaction. Your satisfaction is found in the person of Jesus Christ. God is the only true source of satisfaction. We often look to money to do for us the very things that God wants to do for us. And that is lie number one. And that is money tries to tell us that it is the source of true satisfaction. But let's move on to lie number two that money tries to convince us of in our culture. Lie number two. Uh, and we'll go to Luke chapter number 12 uh, for this particular study. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15. This is Jesus and he's speaking and he says unto them, Take heed, beware, Jesus says. He says, I want you to beware of, here's the word, covetousness. Now, according to what we read in Colossians, covetousness is idolatry. Okay, so Jesus is speaking about idolatry. And he's saying, I want you to be careful of the idolatry of covetousness. I want you to be careful of setting up idols in your heart from things you can buy and things you can purchase and things you can lust after. He says, beware of this. Why? For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance... Of the things which he possesseth. Jesus is literally saying, hey, your significance, your importance is not anchored to how much money you possess. Can I say this? Whether you make in this room and you make $15,000 or you make $50,000 or $100,000, within this context, that makes absolutely no difference. You are just as significant to God if you're making minimum wage as the person who is making six figures in this room. In the eyes of God, from the perspective of this church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I don't care if you're poor living on the wrong side of the tracks or if you've got tons of money and you don't even know what to do with it. Within this, it doesn't matter. God says that's not what your significance is anchored to. That's not what makes you important to this church. We don't have special seating for those who are giving a certain amount of money. I've been to churches and they literally put people's names on the side of the chairs. This person gave so much money so they get to sit there. And I said, you get to sit wherever you stink and want to sit. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Can I say, here, you say, why doesn't it matter? Because it doesn't matter to God. 
Your identity, your importance, your significance here in this place and in the eyes of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with your socioeconomic standing in society. You matter to us because you matter to God. That's where your significance is. That's where your importance lies. Your bank account, how much money you've got, how much you have in your 401k does not make you any more important. Our culture tries to convince us that the more money you have, the more significant you are. The bigger your 401k is, the more uh, important you are. And yet the reality is this money is not what makes us significant. What makes us important, what makes us valuable is the fact that we have Jesus the greatest of all treasure. And if you have Jesus, you've got everything you need to be important. You've got him. And if you've got Jesus in your life and you're important to Jesus, you're important to this church. And you're important to me. And you're important to the body of Christ because your significance is not anchored to your worth. If we're not careful, we tend to judge our self-worth by our net worth. We look in the social mirror and we, we perceive ourselves to be something or not something based on our economic standing. Can I say, it's just not reality. If you've been at this thing a while and God's blessed you and he's allowed you to move up in your career and you're making six digits and there's probably folks in this that are, that are there. Can I, I, it's a wonderful thing. Praise God for it. But you're no more important than you were when you were right out of high school flipping burgers, making minimum wage. Our society, our culture puts so much emphasis as if your, 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 your standing in society has to do with the dollar sign above your head. How much do you make? Can I, can I say that? In the, whole, in the whole scheme of things, that's not where our significance comes from. This is why the Bible admonishes us. I love this verse, Jeremiah chapter number 9, verse number 24. Oh, God says, let him that glorieth, if you're going to glory, if you're going to brag, if you're going to think you really are something, if you're going to glory, he says, I want you to glory in this. What, what should we glory in? What should we boast in? What should we brag? He says, that ye understandeth and knoweth me. Oh, the Bible's telling us, you want to brag about something? You want to glory in something? Here's what you need to glory in. That you know God. That's what makes you important. That's what makes you significant. Because of your relationship with God. Through the person of Jesus Christ. That's where your value is anchored to. That's where your importance is anchored to. You are somebody to God. Because Jesus is someone in you. Money is not the source of significance. If you have food and raiment. Can I say this? You don't need more money to be significant. If you have food and raiment, you don't need more relationships or more possessions or more things or bigger things or better things. You you just need Jesus. And anything else is cherry on top. Anything else is bonus. We often look to money to do for us the very thing God wants to do for us. Nothing wrong with money. If God's blessed you with money... Oh, bless his name for it. Be thankful for it. Obey his will regarding it. But don't anchor your identity to it. 
It's not where your source of significance draw is stem for, stems from. Number three, and we'll wrap this thing up. Proverbs chapter number 23 kind of gives us insight into the third lie that money tries to convince us of. And that is this, Proverbs 23 verse 5. Wilt thou not set thine eyes upon that which is not? Notice this. Hey, he's saying you're looking to something. You're covetous for something. You're, you're getting your focus on something that you want, that you desire, that you're lusting for. And he, and he says this, For riches certainly make themselves wings. Notice this. Riches, they make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. How many of you are like, yes, that makes sense to me. I was like, I had this money and like a few, it's gone. What happened? What happened to my money? Here, the Bible told you, it grew wings and it flew away. That's what happened to your money. You ever feel like that? Like that, I had it and then I didn't. It was there and then it wasn't. Houdini, you know, living in my pocket, making all my money disappear. The Bible says, hey, that's, that's kind of what money does. Now you see it. Now you don't. And here's what the Bible's trying to teach us. It brings us to the third lie that money tries to convince us of. And that is this. That money is the source of security. Money tries to convince us, if you've got enough of me, you'll feel secure. You'll be secure. You'll be safe. I'll keep you safe. I'll keep you secure. You just need a little bit more, more of me. And so money tells us, just pursue it a little bit more. Pursue it a little bit harder. Because I'm, money tells us, I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to keep you secure. Nothing wrong with having some money. But once we anchor our security and our safety to money, we are being deceived. The Bible is very clear that our security does not come from money. Our security comes from God. I think we got it, which leads us here to our third thought, and that is simply this. Money tries to lie to us. It tries to deceive us and tell us that money is the source of our security. Our culture tries to convince us. But I want to say this. Money does not make us more safe or secure. There were a lot of idolaters in 2007, 2008, who had allowed money and their portfolios and their 401ks to become an idol in their heart. And they were looking to their idol They made their deposits as a ritual into their 401ks. And all of a sudden, man, the great recession hit and their idol let them down. The idol that promised them security. The idol that promised them safety. The the idol that promised I'm going to take care of you. Let its worshipers down. Because though money tries to convince us, it'll keep you safe. And it'll keep you secure and it'll take care of you. The reality is this. Money in a million different ways makes itself wings and flies away. Your security is not anchored to your 401k or your savings. Oh, that our hearts would anchor our safety and our security to God, our Heavenly Father. A God of comfort. A God of safety. The Bible says He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's our source of security. He's our source of safety. And the moment we allow our heart to be deceived into thinking that money can provide us true security and money can provide us true safety, we are being deceived and we, that is, it's a sign that we are allowing money 
to become idolatrous in our life. And we have an unhealthy relationship with the gift that money, the gift that God has given us called our money. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 verse 17. Charge them that are rich, Paul says to Timothy. Hey, young preacher boy, he says. Paul says, I, I, Timothy, I've got to tell you something. Those rich people that come to your church, he says, I need you to tell them something. Here's what I need to tell them. That are rich in this world. Now, I'm going to just say this. Though you may not feel rich in this world, in comparison to everybody else in this world, you're rich. And so since the Apostle Paul tells the young preacher boy to mention this to the, his church, I, as a young preacher boy, am going to say this to the church. And whether you consider yourself rich or not is inconsequential because in the whole scheme of things, in comparison to this world, as the context of this verse says, you are rich. And so I say to you, trust not in uncertain riches. Notice that word, uncertain. But in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. This is in your notes. While money may project the illusion of security and safety, and it does this very well. That's why most of us are deceived by this thing. Because it really does project very well that it can keep us safe and that it can keep us secure. While it projects an illusion of security, it never actually provides intrinsic security. Steve Jobs, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. Incredibly wealthy founder and CEO of Apple Computer. Many of you in this room are holding his products in your pocket somewhere. Extremely wealthy. Had the opportunity of reading his autobiography and at one point he said, all the money in the world can't keep me safe from this disease I now have. And he could afford any doctor, any treatment. And the reality is at the end of the day, his money couldn't keep him safe. It didn't give him a feeling of security. And yet some of us are still holding on to the lie that it can. And I want to say to you, it can't. So anchor your hopes, your dreams, your future to the only thing that can truly keep you secure. And that is a, th- a vibrant, thriving, ongoing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Money's just not secure. It's not going to keep you safe. It makes itself wings. I heard about a woman who told her friend one time, she said to her friend, I am personally responsible for making my husband a millionaire. She's kind of bragging about this thing. Her friend looked at her and said, well, what was your husband before he became a millionaire? She said, a billionaire. <laughs> Can I just say this? One way or the other. Riches make themselves wings. Now you see it. Now you don't. What offers the illusion of security? In the end, it is only God that can make us secure. The idol of money can manifest itself in many ways and can result in many, many different patterns of behavior. Now let me, let me flesh this out for just a moment because I want to walk home with some very practical understanding of this. If we're not careful, we can walk away and say, oh, oh, the, the person who's engaging money, they're, they're taking their money and they're spending it on this and spending it on that and spending and buying and using all their money and using credit and, and all, you know, putting up all this debt and everything. They, they, they have problems with money. They've made an idol out of money. Now, here, here's the thing. Uh, this is a very complicated thing. 
This idolatry with money, how we engage it. Now, now think about this for a moment. Every idol has a sub-idol, a heart issue that causes us to engage that gift, that good thing in an unhealthy manner. So it could be, yes, for some person whose heart issue is, is, is they want everybody to think well of them. And that's their heart issue. They want, they want everybody to think they're just super great and super wonderful and they're really protecting their self-image. Then how that gets manifested through the idolatry of money is they always feel like they have to buy the nicest this and the newest that and drive the coolest this and wear the hottest that and whatever the case may be because that is how their heart, their, 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 their desire for self-image to be actualized in this physical world. And so they don't care if they have to go into debt. They don't care how much money they have to send. It's all about their self-image. It's all about how they appear to the world around them. And so they engage with money in that way. And they, they're, they're, they spend it probably frivolously. They don't really budget. They're not disciplined with their money. And so they just spend, 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 spend. Uh, sometimes some of these type of people, because they're so worried about what people think of them, around Christmas time, they will buy lavish gifts for everybody else. Not because they intrinsically love that person. Not because they want to do good for that person. But they need everybody in their family and every one of their friends to know who's the best. And so they spend money they do not have with on credit cards, buying gifts for people. And the people think, wow, what a wonderful person. They're spending money that they don't even have. Why? Because they're selfish. They want people to think well of them. They, they're trying to protect their image that has become their God. And so they interact with money in a very unhealthy manner. They make sacrifices and rituals because their God is themselves and the idol is their money. Heard about a counseling couple one time, and the husband and wife came in, and, and the husband was just, he was just, I mean, they had, they had been arguing about money, a true story, a pastor friend of mine told me about this, you know, they were kind of, they were talking along, along these lines, and, and uh, the husband was just saying, she always spends, he, you know, this, this thing of money has become like, it's an idol, kind of like what you've been talking about, she's spending, because it's all about self-image, the pastor very accurately said, you know, this, this is probably a form of an, an expression of egotistical narcissism. You, you, think you're, you think you're buying gifts for all these people because you, you know, you're, and really at your heart, you just want everybody to think you're, you're super this or super that. And so you, you, you spend money in an, in an unhealthy manner. It's not about blessing them. It's not about encouraging them. It's all about your image and how you're perceived. And, and this is where money can become unhealthy in the way we engage it. But as this counselor, as pastor was kind of working through this, he started listening to what the, the husband was saying and began to get seeds. Wait a second. There was also an idolatry of money going on in his heart. See, he, he wasn't, his expression of this idolatry with money wasn't about spending, 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 spending and buying this and self-image that. See, at the root of his idol under the idol was control. He wanted to be in charge. He, he wanted to feel safe and secure and in control of his world. And so he would hoard money. And the way he engaged money was quite different than the way his wife did. But both were just as unhealthy. 
hoard it away, hoard it away. There was no time for generosity, no time to obey God's commandments on what to do with money and, you know, in these different areas and, and, and being benevolent and being generous. He, he hoarded it, and here's why. Because at his heart was a root of control. Two opposite expressions from the same root heart issue. It may be here, you're Mr. Disciplined with your money. Man, you dot every I and cross every T and da-da-da-da-da. And that's a good thing, okay? However, if it is the expression of a heart that has believed the lie... That money can provide my security and my safety. Then those good behaviors are rooted in a rotten heart condition that will backfire on you. So you say, what's the issue? Do I need to stand in the middle and kind of spend a little and kind of... What's the plan? Here's the plan. Walk in the Spirit. Allow this book to become your authority with how you engage money. And when this book says pay your bills, pay your bills. And when this book says be generous, be generous. And when this book says save, save. And when this book says invest, invest. And when this book says this is how you interact in a healthy manner with money, obey this book. When this book says don't steal, don't steal. That's what I'm saying. Allow this to be the authority, not your unhealthy lust for more, the authority. Not your unhealthy lust for security and to control your little kingdom. To make it safe for you and your family. Your safety is found in God. Not in what little fortress you can build up. And your image, your significance is not found in what what kind of clothes you wear. And what kind of car you drive. Your significance, your image is found and anchored in your identity to Jesus Christ. So you're free from having to overspend. You're free from, from debt. You're free from that because now you don't need that to bolster up your self image. Your image is anchored to the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're over here and you're a miser who's hoarding everything. And you can't obey God's word and being generous. And, and being what God wants you to be with your money and there's not a balanced healthy approach to money then God frees you too from a heart that's trying to control your little kingdom he frees you from that to walk in the spirit and that's what we're talking about today that's what we're dealing with today that in this world you can follow God that's the point of this That your idols don't have to control you. God's spirit can crush them. And you can be led by his providence, his sovereignty, his will, his word for your life. We often look to money to do for us the very things God wants to do for us. We, We start to believe the lie that money can bring satisfaction, that money can bring significance, that money can bring security. And it can't. It's a lie. It's a deception. They bring the illusion of those things, but not the intrinsic realities of those things. A couple years ago, I was talking to a gentleman in our church, just a great man of God. And, and we were, he was kind of talking to me about, he, was, he was, had been offered a promotion to become a manager at his workplace. And uh, he kind of, as he's grappling through it, he said, Pastor, I just, I just came to the conclusion that while it would be more money, I'd make more, I'd have more to give, I probably, he said, I probably would. He said, I turned it down. Because I wanted to create margin in my life so that God's spirit could lead me 
and I could have enough margin in my time and my schedule to be what God has called me to be. You see, here was a man who demonstrated that money was not his idol. That he, he, he wasn't finding his identity, his significance, his image, and how much he acquired. He said it would be nice. It'd be a blessing. But in the whole scheme of everything, my relationship with family, my relationship with a church, said I don't think it's best. And so he allowed somebody else who's probably less qualified to become his boss so he could keep his priorities in a way that God had defined them. Opportunity does not equal obligation. God's will is your obligation. If we're not careful, our quest for more causes us to sacrifice some things that are just not healthy. We've seen people sacrifice on the altar in their pursuit of more money, relationship with their children, marriages, and church attendance. So many good biblical things that they have sacrificed on the altar of pursuit of more money. You see, money often becomes a decoy that keeps us from pursuing that which truly matters most. The enemy dangles the decoy of money and says, this will bring you security. And so, like lemmings, we chase after it only to find that it is not. It does not. It's a decoy. The enemy dangles that decoy of money and says, hey, just a little bit more and you will be secure and safe and significant only to spend and sacrifice so much in the pursuit of that that we have unintentionally sacrificed things that God had never intended us to sacrifice. All of us have to follow the Spirit on this one because every one of our lives are different. Every one of us need different amounts of hours of sleep at night and depending on how much you need will depend on how much work you can get done. We all have different amount of children in our home at this time and depending on how many children you have in your home and how much time each and every one of them needs is going to dictate this thing and depending on the personality of your spouse there are so many things that influence this so therefore we can't look across the hall and look across the room and judge somebody else that's doing something that is unhealthy for us because I want to say this maybe there's somebody else in this room and because of their circumstances Circumstances, because of how many kids or no kids or because of other circumstances, they can do some things that is healthy. It's in balance for them, but it wouldn't be for you. And so rather than allowing them to be your standard, let Jesus Christ, his spirit and his grace lead you into what you are supposed to be. And we will not compare ourselves with ourselves in this one, for the Bible says that is not wise. And what the Spirit of God leads you to do may not be what God leads the person down the road to do. Because they're different individuals. Their circumstances are different. Their personalities, their very, their very core structure of how God's created them is different. But don't justify sin. What you know God is leading you to do and rebel against that because you justify well look that person's doing it maybe it's not sin for that person to work a few more extra hours because all their kids have moved out and the wife's working and all these different circumstances and it just works it's okay for them it just, it's totally healthy and balanced for them to do that can't compare ourselves with ourselves 
on this one. You follow the Spirit. Here's our last quote. We're done on the screens. Today, your heart will search for satisfaction. So will you look for it in the creation or in a relationship to the Creator? The only one who can truly satisfy the deepest longings of your heart is the one who created it. Do you put more effort into chasing after money or in chasing after the presence of God? What drives you? What motivates you? We've got to be careful because greed, money, covetousness very quickly becomes an idol of the soul that literally rots our heart from the inside out. May we pray that God would allow us to have a healthy interaction, a healthy engagement with money and the possessions he gives us. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.